Good morning and happy Easter, everyone. We would love for each of you to join us in Fellowship Hall for breakfast following the service. Also following the service, there will be an Easter Jam program on YouTube. Be sure to pick up the Easter Jam kit at breakfast this morning. The four-week spring yoga session will begin on Monday, April 12th from 6.30 to 7.30 in Fellowship Hall. Everyone is welcome to attend. That's all the announcements for today. Thank you for joining us. All right, everybody, good to see you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I'm going to let you do the rest of that next part. <laughs> okay. All right, if you want to stand with us, let's get going, yeah? Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've for, for what you've done. You you took our cross to get us and achieve the resurrection. Uh, your word says that you were delivered for our trespasses, and that you were raised for our justification. You did everything necessary for us to be saved. There's nothing left for us to do except believe. May we leave here today, believing, needing a savior, but being reminded of the Savior that saved us. So no matter where we're at with you, help us to be with you when we leave. And stay with us. It's been Easter ever since you came out of the grave. So thank you for living the life we didn't, dying the death we deserved, defeating sin, Satan, death, and hell in the grave, and leaving it there, rising victorious over it, so that when we put our faith in you, we have you. A wonderful thing. Invite us into these things. Draw us into you all the more. And it's for your wonderful name we pray and praise. Amen. May all these words with us today. Oh, what a Savior isn't he
God, kids, you can be dismissed, and everybody else, you can take your seat. Turn on the switch, and we're going to fight it again, and we're going to win. Hallelujah. All right. Well, I'll do you one better. He is risen. He is risen. I hope you believe that because it's true, and the gospel is a testimony to that very truth. Now, I have to tell you, um, I was sitting there singing, and I was, I was thinking, where was I one year ago? And where were you one year ago on Easter? We were staring at our computer screens or our phones or whatever it is that you watch uh, YouTube videos on, and you're watching your pastor depressingly, I think in some ways, not being able to gather, but still celebrating the fact that he is risen and under those conditions, we were together in spirit. And that, I know, is, is something that is very biblical. The Apostle Paul, whenever he wrote about being absent from people that he was longing to be surrounded by, he said, it doesn't matter, I'm still with you in spirit. And I want you to know something else beyond that, Jesus is with us in his spirit today. And I can just sense it in the room. It's palpable. And so I'm so excited today to get into the message. Uh, but, I, but I do have one sidebar thing I need to say. And that is my friend John Eden is 75 years old today. John is in the very, almost very back pew there in the middle. And he loves getting attention. If you couldn't tell. And Patty will suffer for it. Oh, you're so long-suffering, Patty. Um, well, I, I'm really excited about the message today because it is the culmination of so many things that began during Lent. Uh, if you uh, had gone through uh, with us our, our Lent guide that is entitled, uh, what is it entitled? Anybody remember? Oh, good, good. I'm glad. So you guys read the title before you read it, because sometimes you just jump in and you read it, and you're like, what's the name of this book again? Because that's kind of what it was. It was about 100 pages worth of book 
And I remember giving it to Brittany and, and her just thinking, wow, that's a lot to print. And print she did over and over and over. But what I liked is the fact that it wasn't in vain. But so many of you went through that guide and you looked at the power habits of Jesus and you were able to track with his life in these very important aspects that emerge in the gospel story. And hopefully it's helping you to, to pray better and to read scripture better, to be in community more better. And uh, I know that's bad grammar, isn't it? Um, but you know what I mean. And to be able to celebrate his presence, whether we're with people or whether we're retreating from the noise and ultimately being together in church. And I, I've really enjoyed going through that experience and talking to people about the power habits of Jesus, because I know that a lot of us in the span of a year have gotten out of the habit of some things, and now we are gathered, and hopefully those habits will get rekindled again. Um, as, uh, as we're gathering, I want to I kind of focus on the, on the main reason why this is the culmination of everything and what happened on that weekend that is uh, that time between the crucifixion of Jesus, starting with the trial and, and beatings and all of that, to that time when the, the, the tomb was empty and people were celebrating the fact that it is a new day. We'll have to take a big drink of non-alcoholic water. Uh, it is a big day for sure, and I, I, I hope I can bring this to bear upon your life. So I'd just like you to, to bow with me, and let's ask God to help us through this, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been with us this past year as we celebrated in spirit, and now we are celebrating in, uh, in, in the body, in physical presence. And Lord, I know there are those who are online right now who can't be with us, and I just pray, Father, that you would help them to be with us in spirit together uh, in your name as your family. And Lord Jesus, we are rehearsing what you have done for us as we read it again in scripture. And I pray that you help it to come alive once again, that story and your presence in the middle of it as we go through it in a way that sees what you experienced and in effect what we have received as a result of that. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful, and I pray that you would just activate everyone's spirit in this room to come alive in you as these words point us in that direction. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, we've been going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and as we've followed that storyline, we are at Luke chapter 6, which doesn't correspond very well with Luke chapters uh, 20, uh, 21 through 24. And as we went through the Good Friday service, I thought it was really uh, very helpful to uh, hear Rich re retell some of the aspects of the storyline of the Bible that make the cross such a, uh, a, a meaningful, if not epic event in our lives. And we left there just sort of kind of hanging. There wasn't like, hey, greet everybody, or hey, Let's, uh, let's do communion or, hey, let's, um, uh, you know, let's have a, a, you know, a gathering afterwards. No, it was let's leave because 
this isn't done yet. And let's just think about where we're at in this moment. And I want for us this morning to, to look at something backwards that appeared in Luke chapter 4. And then I'm going to fast forward to uh, the, the ending part of the gospel so that we can see in hindsight what exactly is, um, ha- is going on. So in Luke chapter 4, uh, we read these words. Uh, it's, it, the context is Jesus has been baptized and now he's gone out into the wilderness and the devil shows up because he sees trouble brewing with this Jesus and he wants to, to kind of counteract any forward movement so that he can remain in power. And here's what we read. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority as he showed the splendor of the kingdoms of the world, for it has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whoever I want. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So he's basically saying, I own the world. Okay, you got that. And maybe in the last year you felt like, God, where are you? Who's in charge? Why is it that we're going through what we're going through? How is it that we feel like, in some ways, maybe you've abandoned us, or maybe the world isn't going in a good direction, and all of these doubts begin to creep in? I want to assure you that maybe you've entertained those thoughts, but I would suggest that it is a big deception that is trying to throw a smokescreen over an important reality that we are getting ready to see unfold here. But let's just settle with the thought. The devil said to Jesus, it's all mine. But the question is still in the air. How did this get to be yours? And as Rich shared on Good Friday, going all the way back to the garden in Genesis 1 through 3, we read something in that passage of Scripture that I think we have to reset. And it's after God created everything and he blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. So essentially, the picture was originally God made all of this stuff according to its kind. He put it in order and then he made us. And then he said, you guys are now responsible for this beautiful, beautiful creation that I've placed you in the middle of. You now have dominion. But as Rich brought up in the storyline, we know very quickly they surrendered or they forfeited that dominion by an act of disobedience, essentially saying, we're not going to follow you, God, but rather we're going to eat of that fruit that you told us not to eat because that guy over there, he said to do it. And we're going to listen to him. And what they didn't realize is in, in, in a very legal sense, they had forfeited the right to have dominion over everything. And in effect, Satan said, it's all mine. It's all mine. 
and I'm going to do with it whatever I want. And the history of humanity since then has been one somewhat hopeful, but then dark, and then a little bit hopeful, but then dark again, and just sort of uh, three steps forward, three steps back motion, not really gaining any ground, but people continually living under the dominion of evil. So then we have a passage of scripture that we covered a while back that fast forwards all the way back to the end of the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is standing up on a mountain with his disciples. And he's looking out over the Sea of Galilee and the regions far beyond. And everything that we have seen in the story of the gospel, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, really culminates in this moment. And Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given has been given to me. Now, wait a minute. Satan just said, it's been delivered to me. And Jesus is saying, at this point in time, it's no longer yours. It's mine. Now, here's the question. How did we get from that guy owning it all to that guy taking possession of it. And that's what we need to explore if this is going to be a happy day for you and I because I know when I woke up thinking about this story, I was pretty excited because I thought, you know, this is real. We've just gone through a pretty hellish year and a lot of us have doubted and questioned whether God is really in control. But as I read these words, I am comforted and I hope you guys are as well that this is, in fact, the way things are. But Satan is a liar, and he's an accuser, and he wants to do everything that he possibly can to call our attention away from that. How do we get there? Well, I, I love the book of John, so I couldn't, I, 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 I couldn't resist and in John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And everybody knows. Everybody's disturbed. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's troubled. They're like, we spent over three years with you, and now it's falling apart. And Jesus sees a troubled look on their faces, and he knows that it is all starting to, to, to just coalesce into this moment. And here's what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And sure, you've heard that at a funeral. But what Jesus is doing in real time is talking to people that have clung to him in, 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 in thick and thin. And he's saying, I'm going. And I'm going to prepare things for you. And you, when you hear, in my house are many mansions or any, many rooms, maybe you're hearing like, you know, saws, you know, DeWalt saws and DeWalt drills or whatever brand of power tool you use in heaven. Jesus is going up there and he's just building and people are coming in and he's building more. 
Well, you could look at it that way, but I want to look at it a little bit different way because Jesus is basically saying, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And John has a very lengthy section on that moment right before it all, it all, it all comes to a head. And essentially what he's concerned about here is the relationship that you and I are able to have with the Father. See, this is the problem, and Rich spelled this out very well on, on, on um, Good Friday. There's a, there's a gap, there's a tension between the Father and us as formerly responsible parties for all creation, but now we could just say, <laughs> wreckers of everything good. God's got to sort this out. And he sent his son to do that. And his son is really the critical component in all of this. And he says, you basically cannot reconnect unless I go before you and I, and I get things in order. So here's how it plays out in John 14. Please, please stick with me because this is really cool. In John 14, 25 through 29, it says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you just now. And then he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away, and then I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it takes place, you may believe. And I really believe that there's a lot happening in this moment that's going to involve a cauldron of confusion and frustration and doubt and then celebration. And we're right in the middle of this cauldron. As Jesus is, is saying this to the troubled minds of his followers, he's essentially setting them up to realize there's going to be a death. But there's going to be a resurrection. And there's going to be rejoicing. However, like any good thing, oftentimes when you see the significance of it and then you lose it, you grieve. And I really had this point come home to me a couple of weeks ago when my best friend from college passed away. And I, I've, I've done a lot of funerals and I've known a lot of people that have passed away, but we have had such a, uh, an entwined story uh, for much of our adult lives that when he passed, it, it just, it broke my heart. I, I, I cried and I got angry and I got frustrated and I just wanted to kick something. And yet I knew that underneath all of that sense of the significance of the loss of my friend, there's more. And the reason there is more is because of where we're going next. So 
Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's praying in the process, and there's a back and forth between the Father and his prayers and his people that are just not really picking up what he's putting down. And so here's what Jesus says in John 16 and following. A little while and you'll see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you'll see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what's he talking about? What is this? Uh, he says to us, a little while and then not a little while, you see me again. And again, in a little while, you'll see me because I'm going to the Father. What? And they're kind of scratching their heads and they're sort of throwing it out there and speculating and Jesus is aware of the fact that they're pretty thick. I mean, I'm just going to say that. I have nothing but respect for the disciples, but Jesus is giving them major clues along the way about who he is and what needs to be accomplished, and they're just having a hard time tracking with him. And here, it's just a fog. And it's worse than what they say about pastors who you're like, if you have a mist in the pulpit and you're not really saying what you need to say very clearly there's going to be a fog in the in the congregation and i hope right now there is no fog because we're just going through this moment with him and as we are his disciples only in the rearview mirror do they look back and they say oh yeah now i get it and I, I love that part of it. But Jesus says, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? See, this is an important point in Scripture. That's why I'm bringing it out. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. You'll be heartbroken. You will want to kick something. You'll want to punch somebody. You'll want to cut somebody's ear off. You'll want to do a lot of things because you're not liking where this is going and where this went. And when you are crying and deeply upset, I want you to also know that the world could care less. Matter of fact, there's a big part of the world involving the political and the religious establishment that is truly at work trying to get rid of this Jesus because... Well, number one, they're not comprehending it. And number two, I, I'd say there's forces behind the, behind the curtain kind of goading them along. He's saying, the world will rejoice and you'll be sorrow. However, your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you'll have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So two things here. One is, as a male, I would say Jesus is really about the only male that is qualified to talk about women giving childbirth. I've learned this after having three kids. When I try to weigh in on my wife's pregnancy and her delivery, you heard it right there. I'm rushing in where angels fear to tread, but being the fool that I am, I rushed in there three times, and then I figured out, oh, yeah, you don't go there. And so I just say, Somebody asked me a question like, 
how, what, was the, what was their weight or what was their length or, you know, details. And I, I just point to her because I know, I know it's not safe. But Jesus can weigh in on it because he's actually an expert in all of this in a, in a way that we can't even fathom. So essentially he's saying that something's going to happen and it's going to be like the pain of delivery, his words, not mine, and the joy of the child coming into the world. And I've heard, I'm just going to say this, and if I'm not here preaching next week and somebody else is because I, I messed up, but I'm going to say this. There is, I gather, after, I'll just say my wife and be specific, and then I'll just keep it there. All that pain that you have, you know, of labor turns to incredible joy that just sort of dissipates when that child comes into the world. I do okay, or is that? Okay, so I'll live. I'll be here next week. Um, and, and so that's good. We got through that part. That was, that was the part I was losing sleep about last night. Remember I got up about 3 in the morning? So, but Jesus said this. He said, um, but I will see you again. And then you'll have joy, and no one can take that away from you. And I really love that because it's true. It's the reality of why we celebrate Easter every year, and hopefully every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, because Jesus did something that just changed everything. But you will never know that based on the signaling that the world is giving you, because the world hates him and everything about him, and will do everything that it possibly can to diminish him, and certainly diminish the significance of the gospel and you're going to find out why here in just a minute so leading up to that Jesus says in John 12 now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of the world be cast out Okay, just a quick question. When is now? Now? Well, this is confusing because we were missionaries in South Africa, and we would say, now we're going to go somewhere, and they would take that to mean probably sometime within the week. But if you said you're leaving in just a few minutes in South Africa, and it would be you're leaving just now. Okay, so could be any time within like an hour. If you say, we are leaving now, now, they'd be like, oh, see ya. And that, that's how they differentiated it. I really think Jesus is saying, just now, kind of now, now, just now, sort of like something's happening now. And the ruler of this world is going to be cast out. And, the, the, and I know the disciples are saying, huh? Where you go, this is too much. Later on, we find that they connect dots. But interestingly enough, 
who is the person that connects the dots first? To try to redeem myself here from any lines I cross by weighing in on pregnancy, I will say that the first person to really get it wasn't one of the disciples who were male. It was actually a female, Mary Magdalene. And, well, she showed up. And she's outside the tomb and she's weeping, we read in John 20. And as she wept, well, she couldn't help herself. She stooped to look into the tomb like, I wonder what's going on in there. And I, I, I know this about females sometimes, too. And maybe I'm, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Maybe I won't be here next week. And that is, they're curious. Whenever we were getting married, uh, I lived 45 miles away from the place that was the venue. And all my groomsmen stayed at my house. And uh, we got in the car and we drove all the way down to Murfreesboro. And everybody had their suits and stuff. And we're all getting ready. And then I look and I'm like, Where's my suit? And then I did the math. Up there and back, that is not going to work. Thank the Lord. My friend Mark, his wife, was kind of curious about my house. So she started walking around, looking. It was a big old parsonage, and she was checking out all the rooms. And she went upstairs, and she checked out this one room. And guess what she saw? My suit. Guess what she brought to the wedding? My suit. The reason I, you know that's true is because we're here. Because it wouldn't have happened had it not happened, had she not been curious. And here is this lady, curious, crying, and then she sees two angels in white. And these angels, of course, are not a normal everyday appearance, but there they are. And what's interesting is where they're at. Like, here's the place where the body's supposed to be. Here's an angel here, and here's an angel here. Can you think of any imagery of anything where an angel is like on both ends of something? Well, I'll leave that for your curiosity to discover. But it's a beautiful Old Testament reference that has a lot to do with what's going on in the middle of the temple. And Jesus is, um, of course, going to pull a kind of like, hey, hey, what? I can just see the startled reflex. Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And John doesn't put anything in his gospel without lots of intent. And pretty much everything is loaded with rich symbolism. And so supposing him to be and I don't mean to be derogatory, but it's Jesus the gardener. Now, what do we know about gardeners? 
You guys know any gardeners? Dirty fingernails? If they're really gardening, they're pretty much dirty head to toe. There's a gardener right over there. I know. Every gardener I know who's worth their salt has dirt all over themselves. They just love digging in the dirt. And here's this guy, and I'm guessing he's dirty in that dirt, earthy sense. Now, the question just as, as, as an aside here is, because she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have told him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not, and I don't like this translation. He said, do not touch me. Do not touch me. And this is important. And not everybody agrees on this point, but it makes a lot of sense to me. The word cling is actually the same word that is used in a variety of places in the Gospels and elsewhere. And it basically, like the woman who came up and touched Jesus, you know, who had, had, had the, um, the issue of blood, she touched him. And there's other touching going on. That's the same word. He said, don't touch me. And she's got cognitive dissonance. Like, I don't know who this is, but then it is him, but it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't look like him. And you may be thinking, well, maybe she just didn't have a good, you know, picture in her, in her head of what he looked like. Like, my friend, did he have a mustache or not have a mustache? I, I don't know. I look at him all the time, and I can't remember. No. Matter of fact, or you could say, no, he was so disfigured on the cross, and clearly that was something that graciously we didn't dig into, but it is, it is a little overwhelming to imagine what happened to him. Because she was responsible for helping to take him down. She knew. But there's something about his presence that makes him unrecognizable. And so Jesus reveals himself through his voice. She hears, and Jesus said, Don't touch me, for I have not ascended to the Father. And as he's saying that, we're thinking, okay, well, you know, that time's coming 40 days down the road, and he's going he's gonna to do that. But there's something going on here that, that I think is, is interesting. Because he says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father. So he's going to ascend to the father here and to who else's father? Your father. Doesn't that have a nice sound? Your father? Maybe you haven't sort of invested in that enough to know the significance of that term. But it's real. It makes a difference. All the world can, can pile on you. You could maybe put something on social media and everybody gets mad at you and you're like, oh, wow, I really messed up and everybody hates me now. Going to go to the cellar and eat some worms. And even if that's true, which I... I don't put a lot of stock in that. But even if that's true, there is one person 
who loves you more than you can ever imagine. And that's the Father, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. Just let that soak in. Because I hope everyone in this room is our Father's child. Because Jesus is going through a pretty painful process to make the way for us. And so, say to them, I'm ascending to the Father, your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that, ha and that he had said things to her. She got it. And so Jesus is doing what he has been called to do. And that is to begin the process of delivering us, ransoming us for our sins, and giving us an opportunity to start over. But on this day, he says, don't touch me. But weirdly enough, on the very same day, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Do you remember me saying something about like, hang on to that word, peace? Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands. And then he showed him his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm, I'm going to be sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive that. Remember a minute ago I said, remember these two things? Like they'll be like, a, they'll be like the way you verify that this is a thing. Receive the Holy Spirit. So they receive their peace and, their and, and the Holy Spirit, and it validated everything that happened before the cross. But what was he doing when he ascended to the Father? And that's where there's some theological differences here. But I think this is what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 is really all about. He, even though he did what he did on the cross, the process of what the cross unfolded in terms of what it was about to accomplish, the process itself involved him dying on the cross and him becoming our sacrificial lamb. He entered once for all, once for all. Remember he said, I got to ascend and I got to go to be with the Father. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Do you know what it means to redeem something? Or even back in, like in, 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 in times when people sold people. When you redeemed another human being, it meant you purchased them from the possessor. And you remember back in the time of Jesus' temptation, all this was my.
mine. You can have some of it. If. And so Jesus said, there's a lot of people that need to be redeemed. And I'm the only one who can do it. And so he went to the Father. You remember that hostility between him and us? And he presented the Father a sacrifice. Do you remember the gardener? Now, this could be speculation, but it fits. Because Paul will comment on it. He'll say, you know, he became sin. It's sort of like he took on all the sin of the world. And then he offered himself to the Father. And the writer of Hebrews describes that as in the heavenly sanctuary. So he, he went somewhere, and he secured something, and it created something. Well, as the story goes, there's the cross, there's his death, he goes down into the earth, and Paul writes in Ephesians, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a co- host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also, I got to go down and look up here, uh, also, um, thank you, ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul's just kind of capturing what happened when he went down into the grave. And we know Peter writes about him preaching to the captives. And there, there's kind of an imagery that we don't fully understand, but it's, it surfaces in a, in a parable of the rich man and Lazarus where you've got people who die, and there's the abode of the dead, there's the abode of the wicked dead, and then there's the abode of the righteous dead waiting for the day when they can go and, and uh, be restored with the Father. And, you know, it's Abraham's bosom. And so it's believed by many in the tradition of the church, that what Jesus did is he went down there and he preached to them and he basically said, I have the keys for these guys and they're coming with me. And so he unlocks the door and out they go. Now, again, this part, theologians kind of differ, but this is the narrative that I'm sticking with today because there's something interesting that happens in Matthew, in Matthew 27, before the Great Commission. It says that Have you ever read this passage, by the way, and you're like, huh, I don't get that. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine dead people getting up out of their graves, reanimated, walking around, and saying, I used to play baseball right over there, but it's a Walmart. Can you believe it? We thought it was getting better, but it's, I don't know. Don't want to offend anybody who works at Walmart. Or, wow, there's a coffee place here and here and here, and we never had that. We had to grind our own beans back in the day. I mean, I don't know what the conversation was, but it had to have been pretty strange, right? They're dead. They're not. (laughs) <laughs> what just happened? And that's the only way I can make sense of this, really, is, is just kind of piecing together the story that way. But that aside, Jesus 
he's doing something that is changing the destiny of everyone that buys in. And Jesus said, once I show up on the other side of the grave, people are going to believe. People are going to believe. Now, here's another thought, because I'm trying to imagine realities that are unseen where this stuff is happening. So I'm getting ready to wind this, wind this down with this last scene, and I hope it's a good one for you guys, because it, it, it just, I don't know, it makes, makes my, uh, uh, I, I, just, I just chill over this. It's so good. Got to take a drink. Daniel 7, 9 through 14. We kind of think of Daniel as sort of like an end times way off thing. But try to frame it in the way that we've just described it. So here we have it. Daniel says, I, I looked and thrones were placed. That is the kingdoms of the world were all in place. And the ancient of days took his seat. And his clothing was white as snow. And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fire, fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? It's just Daniel's way of saying, I saw something, and I don't have the words. So these will have to do. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and a thousand thousands. Okay, any mathematicians? How, ma how much is a thousand thousands? A lot. Thank you. Okay. So if that's a lot, then how much is, and 10,000 times 10,000, how much is that, Smarty? More. Gosh. <clears throat> I'm going to go back and work on this. Okay. So. Stood before him. And the court sat in judgment. And the books were open. Good. I looked, and then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, and there are four of them in Daniel here, their dominion, their dominion, have you ever heard that word before? Was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season so they could come down and create smoke screens everywhere and wreak havoc and cause people to be deceived and not really trust God during pandemics and not trust God that he will help us through this time, not trust God that he's going to be with believers, not trust God that he's going to help us. You know, those people that try to get us to believe these lies that are from the pit of hell. That's what they're doing. They don't, because something's happened to them that's kind of taken their teeth away. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Ah, this makes the stuff we're reading in Luke just so good, doesn't it, Rich? Just, oh, yeah. That all peoples, all peoples, not just, you know, the Jewish people, but, you know, the people that Jesus healed that he shouldn't have healed but got in trouble for healing, you know, the people from Tyre and Sidon, the peoples that are us, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Oh, so good. As I looked, this horn made war with them, and the saints prevailed over them. How would they do that? Because those guys are pretty mean and pretty powerful and pretty nasty, and definitely much stronger than you or I. Until the Ancient of Days came. And all that changed. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. So you have the courtroom drama. You have the judge, and I think there's other judgments, but this is one judgment that I think is being made. And it goes something like this. Over here we have the one who has been given authority over all these kingdoms that wants to just give it to people that will serve him. And then over here we have, how many people did we say a minute ago? There was a lot and then there was more. That's just code language for you and I and everybody else that's a sinner. And the judge is looking at us, and he's looking at us, and he's looking at Satan, and he knows that a decision has to be made and then he looks over here. Now, mind you, this is between the time that he showed up again to the disciples later on that evening, I'm assuming. And what does he see? Jesus, the gardener, who's just covered in filth. And he looks back at the people, and he sees, he sees doesn't see sin. He doesn't see it. He looks at Satan and he says this, Satan you lose, thousands upon thousands, you win because of him, case closed. That's what happened. And I hope you rejoice over that because however it happened, that is in effect what our takeaway is. Because Satan is a liar, 
and he lies to us every day through every pathway of communication that is not connected to the things of God. He leverages it for his own purposes so that our minds can be filled with doubt and disbelief. He leverages it through people that are not committed to Jesus but are committed to everything else, the people of this world who would scorn and despise and ridicule the things of Christianity. He is still on the prowl, but he has no power over those who call God my father, your father. That is real. That is why some people who are believers have gone through this pandemic and haven't hit the panic button. And that's why those who have, I don't want to judge anybody, and there are reasons why you hit it and why you don't hit it, but if it's a spiritual reason that has to do with God, I hope your takeaway from here is, I no longer need to hit the panic button because God did all of that for me. And I know there's a voice out there telling me, no, he didn't. He doesn't love you. He thinks you're ugly. He thinks you're fat. He thinks you're skinny. He thinks that your breath is bad, which mine probably is because of the mask. But I can deal with that because I know when that gavel dropped and that verdict was made, there was a legal transaction that happened in heaven just like it did in the garden, and it was for you and I, and in him we are acquitted. Romans 6.14 says, for sin will no longer have dominion over you. And Paul uses that word sin in such a very compacted, powerful, expansive way. But he's basically saying the forces of evil that are at work in you, around you, and at work to destroy you no longer owns you. That is why I'm in this room. Because I felt those forces I did not have the language for what those forces meant. I just knew that there was something tractor beaming me to the feet of Jesus. And when I saw those beautiful feet, I knew it's going to be a better day for you, Leonard. And it's going to be a better day for a lot of people who are looking for those beautiful feet. And I just pray that if there was any doubt before you came into this room, that you will leave here, like Jesus said, believing. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we don't even have words to say how grateful we are for what you have done for us. It is out of the depth of your love that you took on all these legal contracts that were working for us and then against us, and you provided a way that just is mind-boggling that you came down and did the work for us. You have transferred us out of the dominion of darkness and into your glorious kingdom that has no end. 
And Lord Jesus, you know every heart in this room, every burden that has been brought here today. And I just ask, Lord, that you would stir within us a fresh desire to know you more. And if we've never had that desire, the desire to take a step into your family. I just pray that you help us, Lord, as a church, as pastors and elders and leaders, staff, help us to see what lives you're touching as this good news clarifies for us that deepest layer of our lives, the one that you inhabit, and helps us, Father, to see how our eyes have been deceived and how you have filled us with your truth by your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord.
to go and I just want to end with communion if you've uh, picked up your communion on the way in just take the wafer out and open up the foil and then we'll get to the meeting here Jesus said to Mary don't touch me but later on that day, when it was all done, he said, touch me. This is real. And this loaf and this cup are, in many ways, our way of, of sort of touching him to see if he's real or not. And we celebrate communion every Sunday because we're convinced he is. And it reminds us of what he did on those three days and you can focus on any aspect of those three days, starting with forgiveness of sins and adoption into his family. As his family, let's take it together, the loaf and the cup.
day when heaven is filled with his praises. One day when sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory revealed living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. Hands and healed nations stretched out on a tree. He took the nails from me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day. 
spoke to us through Leonard. Um, just uh, as we go from this place, as we meet for uh, lunch now, brunch, whatever, um, just uh, thank you so much for the hands that prepared it, for all the volunteers today. And just let it be an awesome time of fellowship, God, that we haven't had for a while now. So we praise you, we love you, and as we go from this place, um, God bless this bunch that's uh, about to munch this brunch. Amen. If you're staying, we're going to be downstairs. Uh, Fellowship Hall, if you don't know where it is, you can just follow the rest of the people going down. Uh, and if you want to take it, reminder that you can take it home. Um, happy Easter. Good to see you all.